0: The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Uh, welcome to the Buddha Loka Buddha Center, the Buddha Society of Victoria. So this is the Tuesday evening meditation evening uh, together, which is very—it's a nice opportunity during the week, isn't it, to to meditate together? And as I say, every nearly every time, <coughs> how much uh, how supportive that is for our practice and for the meditation. <coughs> it's very interesting to see, actually. And this evening, I thought, um, because yesterday, it was yesterday, Sunday, <laughs> I, talk, I, I gave a talk on greed, greed, and seeing greed as one of the, um, the most important things in the, cri- uh, the current uh, crisis with the climate change and the environment, it being driven by greed, and what can we do about that? And of course, you know, the, the things we can do is to address greed. And uh, that's what I was, to a certain extent, talking about yesterday, and to understand it as well. Because the Buddha um, encouraged, it said that greed is one of the very strong things that leads to suffering. He said three things did greed, hatred, and delusion. These are three strong roots that we have in uh, every human being that's not enlightened fortunately it's not the whole picture (laughs) we also have very strong roots of the positive so non-greed the buddha called it so this can be generosity kindness uh, selflessness it's not thinking of oneself and loving kindness instead of hate and instead of delusion wisdom so these are the positive qualities that we have one of the things that he recommended for uh, um, dealing with greed was the bringing something that's the opposite of greed to bringing that up, to counteract greed in us, to develop that and to condition ourselves with that good quality instead of the uh, quality of greed, what I need, what I want, you know, all this sort of thing. So one of those things that counteracts greed is the opposite, is contentment, contentment. And this is something, contentment is this feeling of, I'll go into it a little bit more, of being happy to be here. That's what I'm going to use as the theme for this evening. This is uh, a phrase that's uh, Ajahn Brahm uses and I like very much because for me that that brings up a feeling of contentment when I say happy to be here, you know. And for some people, they may think this is like a fairy floss uh, sort of approach to life, you know. Uh, um, but being happy to be here when things are going well is, is very easy, <laughs> but when things are going difficult and difficult, there are difficulties in our life, there's sickness. There are disappointments, there is separation, you know, we lose people, either relationships break up, people die, these sort of things. Still to be happy to be here, that becomes quite tough. So it's a practice of contentment with whatever we find we're experiencing. So it's not an easy practice, but it's one that brings a lot of satisfaction and happiness because contentment really is happiness, actually. It's that happiness... Contentment is something that doesn't move. So, I talk a little bit about that. So, I called this evening Happy to Be Here, the Happy Hour. So, Happy to Be Here, the Happy Hour. We all know what the Happy Hour is. Is it only an hour? I don't think it is actually. It goes on, sometimes it goes on for hours and hours. So, the thing with this happy hour, however, is there's no headaches afterwards and no, <laughs> no complications to untangle later. because I think these happy hours often lead to a lot of difficulties in people's lives. And as I say, you know, this is something that counteracts greed, but it's also something when we can learn to develop positive qualities, uh, they can fuel the meditation, they can support the meditation. Because the Buddha said it is from happiness, from a happy mind, that samadhi, the mind, comes together. The mind develops this one-pointedness or stillness, as Ajahn Brahm calls it. But not only that, when we learn in the meditation, what we learn in the meditation is like reconditioning the mind, creating a new habit to look to... To look at things in terms of say happy to be here to be content to encourage this quality, and when we do that, we can use that in our daily life it 's not only in the meditation because the meditation is really a way to start a a new habit, a positive habit, a conditioning, and we have to bring that into our daily life to make it really to to make it even stronger, but to bring happiness to our lives so this is the essence of um, uh, the Buddha's teaching really is to reduce the negative or overcome the negative and to develop the positive, the wholesome, and maintain it. And this is an important thing. And the reason why these positive emotions, like this evening, contentment, there's many others, you know, thankfulness, we'll call it gratitude, there's metta, uh, loving kindness, there's compassion there uh, is joy with other success successes and upeka this is equanimity so there's many of these positive qualities but what they do for the meditation how they work for the meditation is that they reduce the hindrances the obstacles to meditation and that the buddha mentions again and again so this is the purpose of developing a wholesome emotion like contentment And then it overcomes the the hindrances. I'll mention them because they are what blocks meditation. You know, people often think, um, you know, how, how do you develop this deep meditation? The way to do it is to overcome, to reduce these hindrances. And then it will happen by itself. So this is the... And and not only does it um, support the meditation, it supports wisdom. Because the Buddha said these hindrances, they block the meditation, the stillness of the mind, the one-pointedness of the mind, and they block wisdom too. So it's pretty much the same. And when we overcome them in the meditation, then wisdom uh, is empowered. We can actually see things uh, more clearly. And if it's very deep wisdom, we can see things as they truly are, not as we wish them to be or or as uh, whatever. So we can see very clearly without these, uh, these um, disturbances, these obstacles to clear seeing, without these things that cloud our vision. And that's sensual desire. This is desire for any of the senses, you know. When we're sitting in meditation, we start thinking about cricket, football, tennis, whatever it is. This is all connected with the five senses. Think about politics. (laughs) You think about music. You know, if you think about any of these things, painting, videos you've seen, uh, discussions you've had with people, all connected with the five senses. And in deep meditation, these five senses are left far, far behind. So the mind goes within itself and uh, is not interested in the five senses so that's the first one and then the second one pretty obvious is uh, this is ill will this is all shades of negativity from irritation annoyance right up to road rage <laughs> and the third one of course is uh, drowsiness and sleepiness these are the dullness of the mind and the body and the, the next one is uh, restlessness and remorse, restlessness. And this is where the mind cannot settle. It keeps going, looking for happiness, moving from one thing to the other. And we, we can, I think it's a very common experience. <laughs> People can identify with that. And remorse or uh, worry, thinking about the things we've done and said and uh, worrying about those. And the last one is doubt. Doubt uh, about, the, classically they say Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha was the Buddha really enlightened do the teachings really work were they really um, practitioners monks and nuns who achieved uh, the uh, the things that the Buddha spoke about but more than that really one of the biggest doubts for many people is a doubt that they can do it (laughs) you can't do meditation actually Ajahn Brahm is always saying that you can't do it it happens when we get out of the way But that doubt in our own ability, you know, um, is is something that sabotages us, that makes it uh, very difficult for us to, for the meditation to to develop. So this, that sort of hindrance is, is an important one. And that's where, you know, myself and particularly Ajahn Brahm are like encouraging people, you know, to meditate, to develop it. And I always like that saying, you can't do this wrong. Because <laughs> people worry about that, especially when they start meditation. They think, oh, am I doing it right? You know, is, is this the correct way and so on? Of course, that's an obstacle. <laughs> it's going to disturb their minds. you know. And that doubt doesn't allow the mind to settle down. It keeps it busy. Worrying, you know, maybe there's a better way to do it, you know, a, a different teaching that may, may be uh, better for me and so on. So this is part of what these positive emotions do. They, they overcome and they reduce these uh, hindrances to the meditation. And as I, yes, as I mentioned, really the whole of the Buddhist path is about letting go of the negative and developing and maintaining the positive it sounds very simple but it's quite a challenge actually to do that in daily life to recognize when something unwholesome has arisen in our mind something negative and maybe (laughs) maybe manifesting in our speech and actions and to how to let go of that and then to develop positive qualities in the mind in actual fact as i often point out The shortcut is to develop the positive qualities and maintain them. Then there's not much chance for the negative qualities to come up. But that's not always easy. So tonight, as I said, the happy to be here, happy hour. And there's a nice, uh, just talk a little bit about contentment. Because you don't hear much about contentment. You know, uh, it's not something that is greatly praised it's really uh, the opposite of what you know we're encouraged to do which is be discontent why should we settle for what we've got now we could do much better we can get this we can get that we can change our partner we can change our job we can get a better house we can better get a better car And this is, the, of course, the message that's often out there, isn't it, that we see with other people keeping up with the Joneses, (laughs) they call it. Like one saying says, don't try to keep up with the Joneses, drag them down to your level. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Much easier, I think. (laughs) Uh, So there is a saying from the Buddha, which is very nice. He says that uh, health is the most precious gain and contentment the greatest wealth. A trustworthy person is the best kinsman, best relative. Nibbana, enlightenment, the highest bliss. So that's very nice. So contentment is the greatest wealth. When we feel content, we are in a sense, there's this feeling of uh, fulfillment. We don't have anything we need. We don't have anything we want. So this is like a wealth. So somebody who doesn't really have a lot of money can still be quite wealthy. And somebody who's very wealthy and still wants so much, needs so much, in a sense, can be quite poor. So this contentment is is like a wealth. And it's as I say, it's what we are seeking, really. We're seeking when we look for happiness in the sense, pleasures in, in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. This is what we're looking for, this contentment, this sense of coming to peace, but this sort of steady happiness. And I like, Anjan Brahm, as always, comes out with a very good phrase that uh, captures this. For me it does, and maybe it's meaningful for you too. And he says, it's actually talking about happiness, but it applies to contentment. Contentment is not having what you like. Contentment is not having what you like. It's liking what you have. Isn't it? It just turns it around. And that that is the secret of happiness, you know liking what you have here and now and uh, as i said this is this is not the happiness of the future you know when when we have all these wants we call them in in buddhism craving or desires these uh, that we will be happy when we get this whether it's a new job a new car and a new finish the exams (laughs) any students here (laughs) so This sort of happiness I call never, never happiness because you get there and then there's another desire. I'll be happy when I get this, when I get that. and it keeps us going, you know, unsatisfied because the essence of that wanting is that we're not satisfied. We need something. And when we're needy, we cannot be happy, cannot be um, at peace. We cannot be still. So it's a real... Um, obstacle to the meditation this discontent and uh, contentment as, as i said is a feeling of being satisfied uh, there's a steadiness a happiness there's a peace and a peace in the mind the mind is not going all over the place because why go anywhere if you're happy to be here you know that's a, there's no point if you're happy to be here that's fine and uh, it's a sense of acceptance too, and it brings balance to the mind as well, because the mind that is, has that uh, contentment in it, we call it Santuti in Pali, doesn't, uh, it, doesn't go to, it, it doesn't go to the extremes, it's balanced. It doesn't need um, excitement and it's not bored, it's in the middle. Contentment is a balanced state of mind. And of course the reason I mention that it's the opposite of greed is because it, it's uh, the opposite of discontent. When we're content, we don't need, we don't want anything else, no other place we'd rather be than where we are, just here and now. So this is um, how uh, contentment, this is describing contentment really. And it's an important part of the Buddhist path just to mention a little bit more about it because the Buddha taught a gradual training he called it a gradual training and he said first of all you have to hear the teachings you have to hear what he is um, uh, describing as the path and then to develop some confidence that yes that's worth you know giving a go trying and of course you know if you if you're inspired that gives you energy as well so when you get that. uh, faith or confidence that gives you energy and then you start we start we start to practice and then we start to put into practice you know the ethical suggest ethical code that the Buddha recommended at least the five precepts and this is how we can um, uh, how we can develop more mindfulness of what we're saying and doing develop the Uh, quality of not harming others or ourselves through the five precepts but then the next factor is contentment so being content and this is being content with what we have for uh, monks and nuns Buddha always says that it's um, clothing food and um, a dwelling or like accommodation and also medicine medicine in time of sickness and really that's the basic necessities, isn't it? Really the basic necessity, not only for monks and nuns, everyone. <laughs> but uh, we we tend to make a lot more of these things than, uh, than we need, which I might develop in a minute, actually talk about the difference between greed and need. I didn't get the chance yesterday. But this contentment is very, very important because... Then the Buddha says we need to learn to restrain our senses, the five senses, and of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching, because if uh, if we do not have this contentment, this ability, this happiness to be here now, we'll go out looking for happiness out there. And really, the Buddha is talking about the happiness within each of us, the happiness we can get in touch with, happiness out there. Through hearing, uh, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. We all know about. And it's usually short-lived. And if uh, we, it doesn't satisfy, fully satisfy. You know, it's over in a, in a very short time. So the point the Buddha is trying to make is once we have this contentment within, then we don't have to seek all our happiness through the senses. And this is the point of the sense restraint. But really, the sense restraint relies on the mind. Mind is one of the senses, because the mind is what makes the stories up about all the things we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. It makes a big deal of them. But if we're happy to be here inside, we don't need to be out there so much. And then, from that, the Buddha says, once we've uh, starting to look within. We're restraining the senses. We're not being swept away by them, and this sense of restraint is even more important these days. I just mention this too because one of the biggest things that it's difficult for people to be restrained about. I can see it myself. Is the internet, the devices people <laughs> have? They they really you know can sidetrack us. They can s- swallow so much time and and attention. And arouse, you know, so many emotions, often not positive, you know, of greed or hatred, anger, what we see or hear, or and all these emotions and so on. So this sense restraint that I'm talking about in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching, very important with with the internet to get some freedom for ourselves, because. Often I think people feel that, you know, they, they just can't help themselves <laughs> before they know it. Three hours have gone and they haven't, um, they haven't you know, just been looking at uh, videos or doing emails or whatever it is. So this is something, this is the ability we all have to say no to some of our sense content. I'm not going to go that way, you know, from what I see, hear, smell, taste and touch. I don't have to do that. And this is to get that freedom, to get that choice. And this is an ability that we develop um, with the Buddhist path. And especially you need it for sila too, for morality, that ability to say no. And, uh, and that can lead to happiness. That does lead to happiness and well-being actually and freedom. So he says once we restrain the senses and we've come inside, then we're ready to develop mindfulness and this clear this full awareness, mindfulness, knowing what's happening in the present moment and full awareness, the ability to know what's going on around that mindfulness. What's the purpose of the mindfulness that we're doing? Is, is, is the, uh, the means we're using for uh, developing mindfulness suitable? So these sorts of considerations uh, in developing mindfulness and then always the Buddha goes to the deep meditations because what that does is lead to the abandoning of these hindrances I mentioned and then once they've gone then deep meditation we call them the jhanas can happen and then also the uh, insights the knowledges, seeing things as they truly are can happen from that the power of that that mind that doesn't have any negative qualities in it for a time so this is The uh, important part of the um, of the path you know this contentment is is something that allows us to stay inside to stay at home as it were (laughs) so that we can you know develop these qualities of the mind develop this happiness within and then for the meditation to develop from that so ah yes and maybe uh, just yeah yes and uh, i was i was mentioning the other thing that um this uh, sense restraint does for us it gives not only does it give us the choice but it allows us to simplify our lives if we can distinguish between needs and wants this was something i didn't talk about yesterday but i wanted to uh, and that, that there's a saying from Mahatma Gandhi. I think we probably many of you know it. Earth provides enough to satisfy every man's needs, but not every man's greed. <laughs> so this is a very, you know, that, that really cuts to the, the core of this greed, the issue of greed. And then, you know, it brings up <coughs> the needs of necessities. I mentioned them, clothing, food, shelter, and medicine, and how much we need. And, and everything else is a want. There's lots of wants in our lives, (laughs) that's for sure. And if we can if we can uh, reduce these wants, then we can simplify our lives a great deal, which can be uh, reduce some of the clutter that we have in our minds, make life much easier and simpler. And it's a contribution to the environment contribution. To climate, reducing the effects of climate change. When we can do this, when more people do this, when this becomes, um, uh, when greed becomes reduced. So very good. And yesterday, I told the story of the ice cream factory. Were many people here for that one? The uh, the, the the children's wishing game. Have you were you here for that? No. Well, maybe I'm telling you. You uh, Frank was, and, and Yasmin was, yes. It's a nice story. But uh, Ajahn Brahm tells a story of the of a children's game, and it, it puts this very, very nicely. Actually, there's another story too I have, um, that was another one of Ajahn Brahm's. And these children were playing this wishing wishing game where they they were they had if they had a wish, what would they wish for? And uh, the first child was asked, "If you ha- you have a wish, what would you wish for?" And the child wishes for, because it's a hot day, an ice cream. And they say, oh, that's good. You, know, you need an ice cream. It's a hot day. And then um, the person, they play this wishing game. The person that gets the best wish wins. The person who gets the best wish wins. So this, this child was, you know, that was OK. And then the second child says, I wish for an ice cream factory. <laughs> then I can have ice cream any time of the day or night and the first child feels a bit oh mm, wow that's much better than what I asked for I only got one ice cream and this one can ask for have as many as he likes but how many ice creams can you eat really but anyway I suppose every day so this child was like one upmanship isn't it you know, so, so this child obviously that was sounded a lot better than the the first child then the third child said Well, if I have a wish, I wish for a billion dollars. And then I would buy an ice cream factory. And I could buy anything else that I wanted with the rest of the money when I needed it, I'd want it. And uh, so this outdid the the second child, actually, who wanted the ice cream factory. And he had the billion dollars. So that was the third child. But the fourth child outdid this one even. Uh, even more actually because he, he wished for uh, an ice cream factory no he wished for an ice cream factory a billion dollars and three more wishes <laughs> so all together so th- he really could have unlimited wishes He could re- and the others really felt really they felt quite impressed with it but they were also a bit glum that they hadn't thought of this is much cleverer you know with his uh, uh, the, he could with his wish, he could have ice cream factory a billion dollars and three more wishes. But the fourth one was the one uh, the fifth one, sorry, was the one that outdid them all. He said, "I wish that I had no more wishes. And Naam Brahm says, this is the Buddha to be. <laughs> so this was the one that won because this is the wish, the wish to be without wishes. Because these wishes, these wants are the things that lead to discontent in our mind. We can, Because we can, we're always there's something we can wish, want, but if we can just be without a wish, without a want, we can come to peace, be content with what we have here and now, like what we have instead of having having to have what we like. And of course ajahn Brahm again with a good, it's a nice way of seeing it, the person that has the the unlimited wishes, you know, three more wishes uh, every time, has the freedom of desire. But the last person, the last child, has the freedom from desire. But not many people want that, actually. They don't, they don't see the value in that. Because we're, we're conned over and over again by desire and wanting, discontent. That once we get this, whatever it is, then we'll be happy. And of course, then we get that, or we don't get that, because of course that's the thing. Once you have a desire, you don't have that thing. There's a lack, but also there's a certain degree of fear that we may not get it. When we get it, maybe not, maybe not quite what we thought it would be, which is often the way. So that's the um, the five children with the wishing the wishing game. So it's quite a nice way of putting this contentment into perspective. So now we can uh, do the uh, meditation. It's not actually a happy hour. It's 40, 45 minutes, I think, 45 minutes. So it's, uh, but that's quite a nice length of time. So to begin with, first of all, we can find uh, just adjust our bodies so that they're comfortable, we can sit still, and that they won't cause us disturbance while we're meditating. And so we can close the eyes and come into, come within and be more in contact with the body, recognizing how it is and making any adjustments that we need. And we can develop the intention, always good to have an intention for the meditation, to be happy to be here for this time. Just content to be here, and there's no other place we'd rather be than here, now. And we can develop that feeling of being happy to be here, just by maybe that phrase, I am happy to be here, using that and see how that feels. Or developing the sense of an inner smile, a cozy smile, a relaxed smile. Or like a feeling of being with friends, amongst friends, and being safe. Or a feeling that, that we don't have to do anything else for the moment, work or whatever it be. We're free of that. We're happy to be here. And there's nothing we need to change at this moment, for this time. So just getting in contact with that feeling, however we can arouse it, of being happy to be here. We can bring this feeling of being happy to be here to the body, to relax the body, starting at the top of the head, all around the top of the head with this friendly, relaxed, at ease sense of being here, being happy to be here, being kind. Moving the attention down the face, to the forehead, around the eyes, the cheeks and the mouth. Being happy to be here, relaxing them. Softening them. And moving the attention down to the neck, all around the neck this warm feeling, this mental massage. Happy to be here. And we can bring to mind the right shoulder starting at the neck and moving along the right shoulder, giving it this mental massage. And moving this warm attention down the right arm, the upper arm all around, through the elbow, to the lower part of the arm, to the wrist, and the right hand, right to the tips of the fingers, relaxed, soothing the right arm. Now we can bring to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck, and move our attention along the left shoulder, relaxing it, soothing it with this warmth of being happy to be here, content, allowing any tension to dissolve, to soften. Moving the attention down the left arm, the upper arm, all around, to the elbow, all around the elbow, and the lower arm, to the wrist, the left hand, and right to the tips of the fingers, soothing the left arm, relaxing it, making it comfortable making it content. Now I bring to mind the back starting at the shoulders and we move the attentions that slowly down the back, this warm kind happy to be here, attention, relaxing, allowing any tensions, any tightness, to release, to soften, to dissolve. front of the body, starting below the shoulders, and moving down the chest, with this mental massage, relaxing and soothing, and down to the stomach area, soothing it. Any hardness, pressure, discomfort. Giving it this warm, relaxing attention. And then lower down to the abdomen, low the stomach. Soothing it, relaxing it allowing tightness to dissolve, tensions to relax. Now we can bring to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving slowly down the right leg, all around, starting with the thigh, the upper leg, down to the knee, all around the knee, soothing it, giving it this warm attention, and down the lower right leg. to to the ankle, all around the ankle, to the foot and right to the tips of the toes, soothing, relaxing, the right leg, happy to be here. And now we bring to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the leg and moving the attention down all around the left leg, around the upper leg, the thigh, down to the knee, and down to the lower left leg, to the ankle, to the foot, and to the toes, right to the tips of the toes soothing with his kind, warm, well-wishing attention. And we become aware of the whole body just sitting here. And this sense of being happy to be here, just in the present moment. The past has gone, the future, who knows. Just happy to be here. The sense of coziness of being at home, not wanting for anything, happy to be here with the present moment, whatever we experience, whether it's the touch, the feeling of the cushion or the seat we are sitting on, hardness or softness, temperature of the air, sounds, all these things. We're just happy to be here with it. And we use this feeling of contentment to colour whatever we experience with this acceptance. We just become aware of whatever we're experiencing, whatever's prominent at the moment. not getting involved with it and not rejecting it, pushing it away, just content, just noticing with this warm, kind, content feeling. Happy to be here with the present moment, however it is. And when we become aware of the breath, we can breathe in, just natural breath, breathing in with this happy to be here, this contentment, this coziness, this wish not to be anywhere else. Happy to be here as we breathe in and happy to be here as we breathe out, breathing out this contentment to the world to others, breathing it in and breathing it out, colouring the breath with this feeling of contentment. of thoughts or memories, feelings, whatever comes up in the mind, you can use this feeling of happy to be here, not trying to, not getting into a fight with it, what we're thinking or feeling, just having this contentment and then when we're ready, coming back to the breath, happy to be here with the breath. recognizing what's happening in our minds and our bodies, this feeling of happy to be here. Remembering, happy to be here as we breathe in, happy to be here as we breathe out, natural breath. And now we're coming close to the end of the meditation. We can just reflect, review how we feel now. Is it different from when we began? to be here, or not. And what caused what we felt during the meditation to arise, what brought it up. What was the condition? And we can share this energy of meditating together here today, this evening, with everyone here, with our family and friends, and all beings everywhere. May they be filled with this feeling of being happy to be here, contentment, safe, cosy, inside. And we can develop the aspiration to develop more of this feeling of happy to be here with whatever we do, wherever we are, whether it's in meditation, at work, at school, wherever we find ourselves, to make it a habit and a refuge to Make much to make much of it. And lastly we can anchor this feeling of being happy to be here in the heart or the mind. So we can bring it up any time day or night, this feeling of contentment, being satisfied, having enough, and now we can slowly Open the eyes and move the body to make ourselves more comfortable. So just to ask if there are any comments or uh, questions and I always say complaints this evening. it's a very good sign <laughs> that we're happy to be here because when there are no questions comments or especially complaints it means that we were at peace the mind the thinking reduced we were happy to be here in and, and uh, so then there's no need to think no need to have questions so this is always in a way a good test you know if, we, if there are lots of questions and, and comments and complaints there was a lot of thinking going on we never came to peace with ourselves with being here so I, this is a, in a sense a, always a positive thing for me when i see people don't have the questions they don't have the comments or the complaints because it means that the meditation has succeeded really has succeeded and even if You know, when we, um, you know, are happy to be here, we see a lot of thinking coming up and we are accepting of that. We're happy for that to be here. And that can can reduce by just that action of being content, not wanting to change it. And uh, Ajahn Brahm calls this contentment is the fast track to enlightenment. (laughs) People are always looking for the fast or the shortcut, actually. They're always looking for the shortcut. But being content is something that we're not used to. We're not used to, you know, we're we're actually encouraged to always be discontent, not only with what we have, but with ourselves. we can do much better. We could be much better. We could be much smarter. We could be much better looking. We could be (laughs) all these things, you know. It's endless. But can we be content with just how we are? And that is actually you know, a a place where we can rest, when we can come to peace and a sense of ease, you know, instead of this relentless, you know, discontent with how we are, how the world is, (laughs) you know, we need this, we need that. So this is a a real training, a different, say, way of conditioning our minds. And the more we can bring up this sort of uh, contentment in the mind, you know, the happier we can be, actually, and realise the wisdom of the Buddha's teaching, especially the Second Noble Truth, where he says that wanting, desire, we call it craving, it's a bit of an old-fashioned word, Um, is the source of unsatisfactoriness, the source of suffering, source of unhappiness. And we can see that when we start to develop the sense of contentment in ourselves. And when we do have that sense of contentment and peace, we can actually see much more clearly what needs to be done, you know, and how best to go about it. So this is it's a much better place to come from than from a mind that has got lots of agendas. <laughs> so, did uh, people have any? Do you have any phrases that you find bring up? Contentment, happy to be here, I think it's a great phrase. Anjan Brahm used to have, he does have this other phrase, good enough, but I never like good enough. <laughs> I'm discontent with good enough. Because <laughs> I always think, I don't know about you, but good enough sounds like second best to me. you <laughs> know, it's, oh, it's good enough. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So I don't like that. It, at all, I find that uh, not doesn't, pr- doesn't bring up contentment in me. I think, well, you know, could be better, <laughs> which is the opposite of contentment. So, but when I think of happy to be here, that does work for me, actually. I think, yeah, that's good. I don't have to go anywhere, and that sense of peace. But whatever we find, whatever phrase, you know, or whatever... Um Perception we can bring up, whatever concept we can bring up that brings contentment, that's useful. So you might have noticed you know not having to go anywhere, not having to do anything that might work. The sense of being cozy, being self-contained, being at home, um, these things for me are, are quite good things for bringing up that perception of contentment um, that I don't need. I'm happy to be here. So whatever whatever works, you know, for us to bring up these positive states of mind, very useful. And as I say, when we combine them with a the meditation object, if what we're combining with a meditation object is the feeling of happy to be here, the feeling of contentment. And that feeling combined with the breath or the feet, whatever we're using for the meditation object, makes it much more attractive, much more interesting. And we can stay with it because we don't want to, if we've really got that feeling of happy to be here, we don't want to move away from where we are, you know. We're really content here. And this is something, you know, we can develop. The more we develop with the meditation object, the more the mind will start to settle down, become peaceful, and then go into deeper states. Because once the mind has got a certain momentum, once we've developed that, um that peace and that contentment to be with a meditation object, it will naturally develop this momentum where the Buddha says, you know, that this happiness and joy comes up and the deep once there's happiness and joy coming up in the mind, we don't want to be anywhere else anyway. This is the idea of positive emotions. Once we've got those, there's nowhere else we want to go. This is the party we want to be at. We have no desire to be anywhere else. And that's when the mind can go within itself and develop these very deep states of meditation. But for us, it's to get to that stage where the mind, where we're happy to be with the breath, we're content to be with the breath or whatever the object be, so that we can reach that stage where that automatic process takes over, uh, which the Buddha says, you know, you don't have to will that this is the case. It happens naturally. It happens naturally you know if there is that happiness in that mind in the mind this gladness they sometimes call it then this joy will come up and then this um, this peace this uh this this peace and stillness of the body and the mind and then from that a happiness comes up of what a pleasurable experience this is and then samadhi then the mind can come together go really deep so this is the idea of developing these positive emotions for the meditation and for our lives. Because sometimes, you know, happy to be here, as I say, is a tough practice. <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes think of people who have had strokes. You know, you see people who have strokes? Do people know anyone who's had a stroke? Some people, you know, just trapped. It's the, the mind trapped in a body they can't use. They, they can't, uh, maybe they can't walk, can't... Uh, move their arms and some I've heard of some people who can the only thing left is the eyelids you <laughs> know I think my goodness and if you can if you haven't developed a sense of ease and peace with yourself you know this it would be very difficult if you're in prison in a prison of a body and if you don't have that sense if you have a sense of contentment even though you're in prison and it's a difficult situation you can't do what you used to do you can't maybe even communicate speak you can still be at ease with yourself and find some peace and acceptance of this situation. Yeah, it's not the way I'd like, <laughs> but, you know, and that is really tough practice to be happy to be here when things are really unpleasant. And I think I've mentioned before, I know one man in uh, Western Australia who was going to the Buddhist Society of WA, and he a very good advertisement for this. He had a stroke, and he has very, you know, he had, he's, he's got a bit of speech back, Um, but very little you know mobility and everything but when I go to visit him other people tell me it's the same when they visit him he's radiant he's really I mean you know he's pleased to see the person obviously (laughs) that's 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 part of it of course but there's a sense that he is at ease with himself at peace with himself accepting that situation and not thinking like very naturally most people think why me you know, I, I f- there was a very interesting story uh, that I read uh, uh, or a video, really, that I saw of a person who had a terrible um, cycling accident, you know, a, a push bike. And, uh, and she was, uh, had, uh, I think, six breaks in the spine and, you know, had a lot of internal bleeding, all this sort of thing. But her road to recovery came when she moved from why me to why not me. <laughs> interesting isn't it and that's the realization that it's really a, you know a universal experience once we see things with that wisdom then the the pain of our situation is no longer a personal tragedy it's something we can bear actually when we see it in context when we see it, when we think see things with wisdom when we understand things it really helps a lot wisdom is is the best medicine so this the sense of training the mind developing positive emotion very useful and it's very good if we do this before we get to a situation where we have a stroke or something like that having a body this is all possible <laughs> and uh, you know so if we have developed that sense of contentment being our own best friend that's what i use for metta or loving kindness then when we are if we are in that situation we can make the best of it. And to me, you know, and I see this, you've probably seen it with people you know too, someone who is really sick but is still radiant really just amazes me. Like I see, uh, uh, probably many of you don't know her, but Ajahn Wayama, she's in uh, uh, Western Australia, started the nun's monastery there, but she has a degenerative uh, brain disease and so, you know, losing, uh, can't, well, can't speak much, you know. <laughs> the, the nun who's looking after has to do the interpreting and everything for her and has to turn her at night and so on. And it's, it's pretty incredible and losing mobility, you know, in a wheelchair and all this sort of thing. But just radiant when you see her, you know, I think, oh my goodness, could I do that? <laughs> it's inspiration, isn't it? Because what it's pointing to is really the mind. The mind that she's developed, the mind we can all develop, you know, which doesn't have to uh, suffer with the body, doesn't have to go the way of the body. And you hear that with the, the Buddha's advice he gave to very old um, lay, laymen that visited him, Nākala Pitta. and he said, Even though your body may be sick, do not let your mind be sick. And uh, that is something we can all do to some degree you know and the more we know the mind we're more comfortable with the mind we can do it better and better so i like to encourage everybody try to develop more contentment in our lives you know and see see the results of that this is what we're actually looking for so i hope uh, you can you find this useful it helps your meditation and helps your life so i'd like to finish there and those who would like to, if you wish to, you can. Uh, we can bow to the Buddha. He was the most content <laughs> amongst the most content.